This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa podcast and a special version as we welcome in the head coach of the national champion Yukon Huskies. Uh, from a very famous basketball family, and he has made his own way in that family now as the national championship coach, and that's Danny Hurley. Danny, welcome. Congratulations. Mike, thanks. It's probably a good time to talk because it's starting to wear off, and, and, and uh, you know, I wish I could have played in like the NIT after the NCAA tournament because now it's, it's, everything's full throttle, the NBA, the transfer portal, the NIL, it, it's, all, it's all going. You know, it's a fa- it, it, it's a fascinating uh, equation of things, a combination of things that you have to deal with right now because it's such a different time in college sports. Um, how does a defending national champion deal with number one, protecting his assets, and number two, being mm-hmm. aggressive in this new world of uh, acquisition of players? Yeah, I, I think at, at times it's funny during the year. I almost, I probably ran up to my staff uh, during the course of you know the end of last season into this season, and you know, kind of jokingly said, I, "I'm, you know, this isn't college. This feels more like the G League." And um, you know, I, I just think that um, you know, you you obviously have to have to plan for the future. I, I uh, constantly, I think. Um, you know, you, you always have to have a core, I think, a core of young talent in your program on a yearly basis that, that you can build around. Uh, for us this year, it was, you know, we knew we had Hawkins, we knew we had Sonogo, and we knew we had Jackson, you know, a, a big three. And, and then you're, you know, through through recruiting freshmen and through, you know, portal acquisitions, I, I think you, uh, you know, you've always got to have a, have, have a, a mentality of trying to supplement the, the core of your program that hopefully is homegrown and um, and, and people that understand your culture because um, I think that's what's going to take to be successful. You know, this team it was in such an interesting season. You weren't you weren't really talked about that much when, before the season began, and then you were the best team in the country in December. You were killing people. You went into the conference tournament, leveled off. Uh, I mean, went to the conference season, leveled off, and lost some games, and people kind of forgot about UConn. Where were you in January and February, and how confident were you that you would be able to put together this incredible March run? Yeah, well, you know, when you watch your dad growing up and, and he takes losses, like, <laughs> so personal, and they're uh, – you know, like I think in our home, like any type of uh, a failure was looked at uh, as uh, as our whole identity. I, I did not handle it well, and I think that you know contributed to a to a really bad month of January. I think it was multiple 
it was multiple factors. I don't think it's ever just kind of like one thing. I think it was part me not leading um, like in a way that could kind of bring us forward. I was holding on, you know, to, to the losses and the failures instead of getting it fixed and moving it forward. I think some of it was we got away from our identity and we stopped guarding. I think some of it was just the scheduling caught us where it's like, we were playing the top three or four teams in the league on the road, back to back to back. Um, you know, and then I was also, I was fighting with the refs. Uh, you know, the refs have, have been probably one of my biggest obstacles as a coach. Cause I, I was a high school coach by trade. And I think at the high school level, you know, you, you, you find yourself trying to intimidate those guys more <laughs> to try to, you know, steal calls. And you try to do that in college and you just, you know, I think it, um, you know, they got as, as big an egos as, as as the players and the coaches, and it tends to go bad. So I just think it was a, a multitude of things, but it was exclusive to one month. If you look at November, December, February, March, and April, we were clearly the best team in the country. No question. And, and in the t- you know, it's a funny thing in the tournament. You opened up against Patino and Iona, and Iona played a brilliant first half. I mean, they played unconsciously and they led at the half and they interviewed you at the half and I was watching and you said, Hey, listen, they just played great. We'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. And you were very confident and came out and played an incredibly explosive second half. I think you beat them 25 points second half. And that was kind of what everything just exploded off that. Uh, that was the first half of that game was the only half you trailed in any game in the whole tournament. And it seemed like, it freed your team up because after that first half against Iona, your team played so confidently the rest of the tournament. It was amazing. It was almost like there'd be these five or six minute runs where you guys would click. You'd use your size, you'd use your length, you'd be rebounding, and then you'd get out and transition with the threes and you'd kill people. And all of a sudden a game would go from three to 23, in like a snap of a finger. That was the way you guys were this whole tournament. Yeah, yeah. When the boys got on a roll, they were just hard to stop. And I think, you know, this whole year, I think we knew the pressure of the first round game was going to be the greatest pressure that probably any of us will have felt in our careers as coaches, um, in particular. Because I think the players, a lot of times, like they just go out and play. But you know, we were internalizing last year's New Mexico State flame out and. Right. Obviously, the year before, the, you know, we lose to Maryland. I mean, you know, that was a COVID. That, that was a, just, I, I think, a one-off experience. But really, we felt enormous pressure. I know I did. Um, and, and when they, you know, on Selection Sunday, and they, you know, they flip Iona, and everyone, you know, got hysterical, like we were playing the boogeyman in, in Coach Patino and Iona, and UConn's in trouble. This is, you know, Hall of Fame coach, and this guy can't even get out of the first round. And, but the first half of the game, I mean, they were they were making shots that was not sustainable. Uh, they were making shots I knew that they couldn't make for 40 minutes. And we were getting absolutely great shots and not always converting. Um, no, plus, I really loved the team. I believed in the team. I knew the team would, would deliver. Did you know that all season that Sonogo was that good? Because he was the best player in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he was completely dominant. In, in the tournament, did, did you know that he was going to just just dominate the way he did? Maybe not to that level with the efficiency, Mike, but I, I got to tell you, the year before, 
he was that dominant up until February. Um, but we were playing him 35, 36 minutes a game. So he flamed out in, uh, in the Big East tournament and, and in the NCAA tournament. He just, uh, you know, he, he didn't have the lift. He didn't have the, you know, he didn't have the strength. He didn't have the life in his body. So um, just bringing, clinging in, you know, having that, that 7-2 monster. Yeah, um, he was a big factor. You know, his length was whew. a big factor. He just allowed us to keep Sonogo fresh, I think, the whole season. And Sonogo averaged 27, 28 minutes a game this year as opposed to 33, 34. You know, so now when, when March, you know, February turned into March, April, you know, that, that guy was working with a, a full tank of gas. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not many players in the country, you know, w- w- with his type of, like, positional low post type of dominance. You know, Danny, the, the guy who symbolized this tournament to me, and Sonogo was great, and we know what Hawkins brings. He's the best shooter in the country. We know what Jackson brings. He's your facilitator. But the guy who really put you over the top was Newton, who had a great championship game. And you had to give him a lot of freedom because he makes a lot of mistakes. And you didn't seem to be bothered by that. His positives versus his negatives, he had – a wild championship game, but he was a huge factor in a lot of your explosive runs in that tournament. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, hundred percent. He never got enough credit. I don't think him or Caravan probably got right. As okay. much credit. And, and Calcaterra hit some big shots too. Oof, Joey, California. Uh, who says the West Coast guys can't come east? Yeah, he, the three of them, they, <laughs> they had daggers the, the entire tournament. Those guys hit daggers. They really did. Daggers and Newton. I mean, he had two triple doubles during the year. You know, he's you know he's six four, almost six five. Um, but I just think from my experience as a, as a coach, I think uh, if you don't let guards play, obviously there's a point where things could go too far. And um, you know, but but he 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 brought you know tremendous length and defensive abilities in terms of his size. Um, he's very even keel, which I think is good for me because I'm fiery and. Jackson's fiery and, and uh, you know, we just learned to trust him more as the season went on and he, but he had to earn our trust. And uh, you know, the, the guy played his best game in the national championship game. And that says a lot about him. You know, I was talking with Danny Hurley, the uh, head coach of the national champion, UConn Huskies who now have become with that fifth championship basketball, college basketball royalty. They are that built by Jim Calhoun who did the greatest post-World War II building job of a program anywhere in any sport in college basketball or football. I've always said that. The only thing that was close was what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. That's how hard it was to build this thing. And they've kept it going, and Danny's kept it going, and UConn is a a royal program now. They are a blue blood. There's no question about it, uh, and will continue to be that way. But um, in this tournament where your size was such a factor and your – transition threes was such a factor and your explosiveness was such a factor. I, I noticed the yin and yang with you. You'd let them out and then you'd pull them in for a couple of minutes and then you'd let them out again. Uh, it was a fine line you were running there with them a lot of the times. Uh, you know, you'd pull them away, use some clock, and then at the end of a clock, after, at the end of a shot clock, you'd get a big shot. But you... Let him run, then you pulled him in. You let him run, you pulled him in. You kind of were pulling strings the entire tournament with the team. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, number one, I think there was no real, 
you know, place where we were weak. I, I think, you know, we were, we were a top five defense, a top five offense. You know, we generally would beat you up on the backboard and we were, and we would oftentimes uh, play a lot harder than our opponents. So there just was nowhere, you know, there was just nowhere for another person to go, uh, you know, in the matchups. So, um, and, and we were, you know, we, we felt like our execution in the half court was high level. But we also, from a lot of my conversations with Coach Calhoun and Gino, it's like, especially in the postseason, you got to find a way uh, to get those easy baskets in transition. But you can't allow things to get chaotic where you get away from your execution. So, you know, for me, I just always been smart enough to uh, use all my resources. I got my dad. I got some incredible coaches around here. You know, that that they've always given me like I think great advice, whether it's tournament play or for the long haul during like a long winter season. Um, your length was such a factor in the championship game. I don't think people realize, first mm. of all, you beat a very good, very hot team in the championship game. They were a good team. They were a great defensive team, but you just oh. stopped them from oh. scoring inside. <laughs> they could not make a basket. Uh, you know, they went 13 minutes in the first half, and they just could not get an easy basket with your length in the game. Uh, but there were two points in the game that really stuck in my head. They came back and, you know, they didn't quit that team. They came back and it was five, It was six points. You missed the shot. And Sonogo got the offensive rebound and made a really tough putback. And then the second time was they cut it to five and Hawkins hit what I called the dagger. That was the one that put the nail in the coffin, put you back up eight, and you mm-hmm. never looked back. Those two trips, did you ever feel... And there's nothing tougher than being in a, fi- a championship game with a lead, trying to get to the final seconds. That's uh, that's a, you, you see, as you know, it feels like hours for you. Uh, and <laughs> did you ever feel really threatened in that game? Yeah, I did. I, I did. I think multiple times. I just kept, you know, when they would make a, a difficult three or, or a tough shot to cut it to eight or five or ten, I would kind of in my mind say, like, these guys won't die. You know, like the, you know, these guys are showing that, you know, that, that, that championship medal. But I think we, you know, at, at, at halftime, I think even before the championship game and the final four, we just, I kept getting across to our guys. Like, you know, people kept saying that, uh, you know, that we've made, we were making it look easy, um, you know, but it wasn't easy what we were doing. Like we were doing the hard things like so well, the execution, the screening, the, you know, the blockouts, making the extra pass, you know, cutting hard, uh, being a great teammate. Like we were doing all that stuff at such a high level um, that we were kind of preparing our guys mentally for, you know, either San Diego State or Miami or, you know, or Gonzaga to make a run at us. Or, you know, obviously Gonzaga didn't, but, you know, Miami and, and San Diego State made second half runs against us. But I think we're just from a, from a character standpoint, uh, everything we went through in January really toughened us up. And then just our execution and, and the quality and, and the quality of our play was so high level that I think we were just confident we would just execute that game out. Well, I think your size was uh, and your interior defense, and you're right, your team did not have a weakness. I know people say you didn't have a pure point guard, but you had a couple of guys who could handle the ball, uh, especially Jackson mm-hmm. but and be facilitators and Newton. But um, so that really wasn't a big factor. You had a lot of guys who could pass the ball. Your team passed the ball really well. But 
you you shut Timmy down and nobody shuts Timmy down. I mean, Timmy couldn't score against you guys. He couldn't play against you guys. And that's the only team he's – UCLA was a great defensive team. They were not 100%. We know that. And I thought they were the other team coming into the tournament. I thought it was going to come down to you and them. And on the other side, Alabama, I thought that was the tournament. I thought it was going to be UCLA against UConn and then Alabama on the other side. Uh, Alabama – had a lot of problems and played terribly. UCLA just was hurt and didn't have enough people, lost a, uh, on a uh, miracle three. But mm-hmm. you guys took a guy who was automatic in college. I mean, he was 30 points every night and just shut him down. He he couldn't play in that game against you guys. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think we saw, um, you know, a chance to be a little bit different. I think everyone is obviously – um, you know, guard play is critically important uh, in college basketball. Your guards have got to be good enough, and they they got to be, you know, two way players, and they got to be able to make shots. But I just think that a, a, a lot of programs haven't really developed dominant front courts in college because of maybe you know the focus on point shooting, which we also obviously you know want to be really good at, but like. You know, it's we have an advantage over most teams just because I think at UConn we value our front court players, we value our four and fours and fives, and you know we get them the ball and and uh, you know, they provide us with great rim protection, and then we recruit you know big athletic guards that can run people off the three point line. So you know we run you off the three point line, we funnel you to the rim where we speed you up and where we have length and shot blocking and. And front court players find it hard to play against us, you know, because we have different type of front court players. We've got seven, we got a seven two monster, and then we've got some like six six eight six nine, you know, physical you know physical monsters. Yeah, you did, and your size was a huge factor. You're right. Your front court was an enormous factor. Plus, you did honor the three and had guys. I mean, the length of your threes. There's not – you guys were allowed to shoot – I mean, you let your players shoot threes from anywhere. I mean, they shoot the – they they shot bombs. I mean, during the tournament, uh, uh, uh Newton – well, you know Hawkins, how the length on his shot. He's the best shooter in the country. But you guys hit not threes. They were fours. I mean, they hit some absolutely <laughs> unbelievably long threes in the tournament. Yeah. I, I let them shoot all the shots like – that I, w- I was too scared to shoot in college, right? <laughs> or all the ones I missed in college. I I, I live vicarious through my gunslingers. So, uh, yeah, I think um, you know, for, for you know, for me, it's like uh, our guys play really, really hard. I think they defend for us at a high level. Um, they share the ball. We're one of the highest assist teams in the country. You know, so I, I do think, and it's a fine line. And obviously, I learned a lot. You know, I coached J.R. Smith in high school. My my dad used to come to my games and kind of shake his head at me and the, the shot selection that I was allowing him at that time. So I've reeled it in like a little bit since then. But um, my guys play a certain way for me with a certain level of confidence and swagger. Uh, at times I have to kind of, you know, uh, bring him in and give him a quick like, all right, my man, that might have been a step too far. But I empower my players and uh, – they give it to me on both ends of the court and on the backboard, so I give them a little bit extra freedom. How does it feel? And we're talking with Danny Hurley, the uh, UConn head coach, uh, after UConn wins its fifth national title. Um, you come from a family that is a basketball family. Your father is a legendary uh, coach, one of the great high school coaches of all time. 
your brother was an All-America player and a very prominent player and coach. And now you win, uh, as the younger brother, you win now a national title at a pretty uh, young age. Now, what does that mean for Danny Hurley? I think it's like, Mike, I think it's like weird. And it's like uh, it's like evolving in my mind a little bit. Um because everything is such a blur, really, from the Elite Eight game with Gonzaga. I mean, we were in three different time zones playing, the, you know, Albany to Vegas to Houston. It, the whole thing was a blur. And then, you know, obviously now I think when you've got some more time by yourself and some days have gone by, you know, I, I guess, you know, for me, it's like finally feel like um, – I'm a basketball lifer from when I was a little kid and maybe uh, never had that, that incredible elite success moment as a player, as a coach. I mean, you know, grinding in this thing for as long as I can remember in the game. So I get real emotional just thinking about, you know, like having my moment, obviously your brother, seventh pick and two-time national champion. And he's had his elite moments and my dad, Hall of Famer, maybe the greatest high school coach of all time and one of the greatest coaches of his generation in basketball. It just feels really gratifying. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, and then also too, what triggers in my mind is like, really, as I get to where I'm at now, is like this thirst to get back, uh, you know, and to experience that again and to be a, a two-time winner of that tournament, you know, what, what that would mean. Um, it's something I can't wait to start attacking. It separates you, no question. And now the Big East, coming back to the Big East was a really smart move for UConn. Uh, I, I thought it was important for them. Um, the Big East is always, it's always been underrated since Syracuse left. Uh, people don't understand the league is still good. They also don't understand that those teams that don't belong there geographically have been very good for the league, uh, whether it's Creighton, whether it's Xavier, whether it's Marquette, they're good programs. I mean, they're really good programs, as you saw this year again. I mean, Creighton was an inch from having a huge year. Uh, Xavier's always good. And now you have Patino at St. John's, which you know means he's going to get something done. And you have Cooley at Georgetown. So this league is going to be, and you guys now as the bellwether Villanova will return to some level. I don't know if they'll get to the heights they had with Jay Wright. That's probably impossible. But the bottom line is the Big East is going to be very, very strong. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, you know can, can it get back to where it was you know before the league broke up? Maybe for you know the whole landscape. I mean, maybe obviously you know you're not going to have the quantity, but you could certainly get back to the quality and um, got a lot of coaches in the league now. Some great coaches. I think it's the best coaches, uh, you know, in, in the country, I think overall, I mean, just pure coaches in terms of just being a pure basketball league. Um, But no, the St. John's and Georgetown brands, I mean, getting those, getting those programs, you know, up and, 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 and a factor, uh, you know, closer towards the top of the league, it brings a whole other, level of excitement and the eyeballs to those matchups. And, and I, I think, you know, them becoming, you know, potentially a factor in, in, in March again. And I think it just does a ton for the league because I'm telling you the top four of our league was, was better than any other top four in the country this year, Xavier Creighton, uh, us, uh, and Marquette. 
um, you know, there was no four top four that was as good as our, our top four. No question, and you proved that, uh, and they proved that by how tough they made it for you and got you ready for an incredible run, one of the dominant runs ever. You know, the old adage is that somewhere along the way you're going to play a white knuckler. Well, you didn't play a white knuckler. You didn't play a close game, and that doesn't happen very often. It's very rare. It happens once a generation that have a team storm through the tournament the way your team did with the confidence that your team had and and the you know what, what I the confidence your team had on both ends of the floor is rather unique. Usually, it's one or the other. You guys had a a real swagger on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and you know I think it's uh you know it, it was a leadership thing from you know fr- from having these 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 older players. I think that set a tone. You know Andre Jackson and, and, and Adama Sinogo, Mike. They set this tone. Uh, last last March into April, when, when we were when we were running, uh, you know, transfer possibilities for this upcoming year in unofficial visits, you know, they were heavily involved in their recruitment and giving their opinion on whether they thought the players were a good fit. Uh, they were driving and pushing their teammates in summer workouts. I mean, these were men that were truly like uh, these guys are on a mission. I mean, that the sour taste from from what happened to us last March and, and what they were gunning for this year in terms of their legacy and the value they wanted to create in their career. I mean, these guys, uh, especially Andre Jackson, I mean, you're talking about a throwback captain, a guy that, you know, a guy like you and you and you know, what you value in terms of what, what, what sports people used to be like. I mean, he's a throwback, uh, to when men, you know, men were men out on the court yep. as captains. Doesn't have to score to be dominant. The whole thing. No, doesn't care. Doesn't care. You know, it doesn't. You know, if if I said to him tomorrow, Mike, like, hey, you know, uh, Andre, I don't think you're ready for the NBA. Uh, you know, this year, I think you should just come back, and and I think you should be in the weight room tomorrow. He would ask me, you know, what time do you want us lifting? You know, or. You know, coach, what more? What you know, what screen can I set? What more can I do for this team? He's a uh, he's an incredible, incredible young man. You know, I don't think people, Danny, understand uh, the pressures at UConn uh, because of what's been built there on the men's side, on the women's side. I mean, there are expectations there at that school. A lot of people thought maybe that went away. It never went away, right? No, it's gone nowhere, and it's a different job. I mean, it's very similar to a Kentucky in a sense with the media here, you know, we jokingly call them the horde, but there's no other college program that has five beat writers that travel with you. A couple columnists, like we travel on the road, you know, we're, we're having, you know, day before game press conferences at the hotel. Uh, we don't have pro sports in, in Connecticut with the whalers leaving, you know, years back, you know, so we are the state's professional team, men's and women's, you know, UConn basketball is the thing. And when you lose here, I mean, it is all out hysteria on social media. The players all are, are trash. I'm the worst coach. You know, you've got to have the stomach, um, you know, you have to have the stomach to coach or play here because the, the external noise is loud. And, you know, you do feel pressure in the first round or two of an NCAA tournament because of the history. But then I think once you get through that first weekend, maybe now you start believing in, maybe it becomes a, a super positive. You know, the game has changed so much, Danny. Um, 
you're looking at it now from a standpoint of being a defending champion. A lot of people, let's be honest, guys have left the sport because of the portal. They found it that unsavory. Uh, they, they didn't want people recruiting their players. They didn't want to go through this process. They didn't want this whole thing. It's there. It's real. You got to live with it. And you have to incorporate it because everyone else is going to incorporate it. How tough is that from the position you're in now? Does it make it that much harder or is it just a unique position? I think it's harder for me because of of the background um just the way my dad raised me it's not your way to just buy people no i can't do it Uh, i don't i I would listen i i think in a perfect world you know you 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 want the your your people to pick you right because they believe you made that comment you want people to come there because of you you don't want them to come there because they're getting nil money yes and i would never you know, it's like weird I don't know, analogy, man. Like, do I, do I want to be a mid-market? <laughs> you know, do I want to be a mid-market team? I, I'm, I just don't want to lose players from a retention standpoint because somebody else bought them. Um, you know, from yeah, which is a, which is know. a weight. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, no one's getting on Larinaga, who we all know is a wonderful coach. Miami spent yeah. a lot of money on players last year. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, and for me, I'm like. I'm a truth teller. I can't lie to my seventh man on this past year's team and bring him in here and say, you know, hey, man, you know, you're going to be a starter next year and, you know, this, that, and the other thing and promise him, you know, a bunch of things. I mean, for me, it's like, I think that's why I've always, I have a great culture with my teams and maybe I I may struggle with, with some of this transactional things that are going to now go on moving forward. But my hope is that there's just enough people still out there. You know, we've got the top recruiting class or one of the top three. Right. But how do you protect what you have too? I mean, how do you, as you just said, you're not going to lie to guys and you're not going to buy guys that puts you in a tough spot. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, Klingon, I'll take Klingon for example, you know, he, he's a guy that this past year, um, and we've always been able to recruit players like this. There's still enough of them out there. I think it's like, you know, Donovan Klingon, you know, probably could have got picked somewhere in the twenties. You know, if he would have declared, I think he would have definitely, that would have happened for him, but he's also, he comes from a great family. He has very reasonable people around him and he's a, and he, and he's very self-aware. So, you know, instead he's going to return and he's going to be one of the biggest stars in college basketball next year. And he's going to be a lottery pick. So, I do think that there's some, and he's going to be able to take incredible advantage of the NIL, you know, while he's here. So um, I do think that there's still a lot of people out there like Donovan Klingon and Andre Jackson and Alex Caravan and some of the people that we've built this with. And there's a, there's a fine line between going out and just recruiting players the old way and now adding the portal in. Do you believe you have to participate at least in some level in the portal aggressively as far as acquisition, or do you think you can ignore the portal? No, I I think you've got to, you got to be smart in the portal. I think I've taken transfers throughout my career, but, but I've taken them in, in very specific roles. If I've needed, you know, a plug and play starter that, that I needed high production from, I've gone out and, and, and I've been able to, you know, obviously sell that role to a recruit in, in terms of the, the opportunity. And and then when I've needed like some, 
you know, firepower off the bench. I, I've been just very honest about the role that I have. I've never lied about what, you know, I didn't tell Joey California that he was going to come in and be the fifth starter. I, you know, I was very, very honest with Joey, and that's how you you have a happy locker room and, and uh, guys that excel in their roles. For you, uh, when the, the day you wake up, you know, it's funny. Um, Dean Smith walked into the press room the day he won the national championship against Georgetown, and he kind of bristled at this, and he said, um, because you know he'd taken a lot of heat through the years for not winning a title, and he said, you guys think I'm a better coach now than I was two hours ago? And he meant it. Um, but let's be honest. Everybody gets judged by winning, by titles. That's just the way it is. I mean, that's the, unfortunately, that's what sports is about. When you wake up a national champion as a head coach, especially with the pressures that you feel with your last name, did you feel different? I, I got to say, um, you know, the, the definitely, um, definitely a, a different level of confidence, um, you know, for me. And, and again, it's not, you know, the NCAA tournament is hard, right? Because it's not, you know, th- there's no home court advantage, or at least it's, it's rare. Unless you guys made it look easy this year, but it is very hard. It's very hard. hard. I mean, when people should realize how talented a team Alabama was or Houston was, and they didn't get there. They had an injury. Maybe that off the field thing bothered oh. Alabama. Who knows what it is? But everything has to be right all the way through, and it's a bounce of a ball, and you're gone. So you made it look easy this year. It's not as easy as you guys made it look. No, it's not a best of five. You, you don't play at home. If you're a higher seed, it's very, very rare that you get some, like, huge geographical advantage, like UConn playing at MSG and the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. You know, it, we didn't – you know, you, you, a lot of times you don't, you don't have that, and it really comes down to, you know, a lot of times matchups and – like are the things going on behind the scenes with players and and agents and injuries and egos? I mean, there's a lot of things that that contribute to it. Um, it's not. It's it's a, it's. You look at the people that have won it. I think there's not there's not a lot of people that have won it. It speaks to how hard it is. When you lost in the Big East tournament and were preparing for that first game, even before you saw that it was against Patino. Were you confident that if you played your game, you were going to win this thing? Or was it more, I need, you know, some, did you have more question marks in your head about your team? I actually, Mike, I mean, well, the year before I made a mistake, when we lost some biggie semis to Nova, um, I let that linger for days. And I, I was so you know, disappointed. We lost by two and, and we, we had many chances and, and we just kind of blew the game. And I let that linger through Selection Sunday, almost into <laughs> as we were leaving for Buffalo. But, I, you know, I learned my lesson. You know, we stayed in New York overnight after that game. I, I watched the film with the team and then we buried it in, in our hotel in New York. And then we were nothing but joy getting ready for the tournament. Um, but I was actually like super confident because I thought Marquette was was truly a team that could make the final four. They were tremendous. Shaka did an unbelievable job. And, and we should, I mean, we, Tristan Newton and Hawkins went four for 21 in that game. And Andre Jackson played 13 minutes with foul trouble. And we still had two or three wide open threes yep. under, under two or three minutes to win the game versus one of the best teams in the country. And I knew we weren't going to shoot like that again. And I knew that, that Andre Jackson hopefully wouldn't be in foul trouble like that again. So, I mean, I was disappointed we didn't win the Big East, but I knew, 
we had a final four. And you were in my in my mind, you were in the hardest bracket because I thought I had eight teams that I thought could win the whole thing, and four of them were in the West: Kansas, UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA. I thought could all win the whole thing, and mm-hmm. Kansas was got knocked out. But I thought. That was a rough bracket. I mean, Arkansas was a talented team. You guys manhandled them. I mean, and then Gonzaga, yeah. you embarrassed. I mean, so you guys were just overwhelming. But that was a very, very strong, top-heavy bracket. When you know, when we saw it, it was it was wow. Because like, I uh, thought UCLA was one of the three best teams in the country all year. They just weren't healthy for the tournament. Yes, no doubt, and. You know, them and Kansas and Gonzaga and even St. Mary's, if you look at the yeah, athletics, good team. I, think, I think there were five. We were five of the top 12 Ken Palm efficiency yep. teams were all in the West. And um, and then obviously Arkansas preseason was a top 10 team in the country with two lottery picks and two other guys that are like late first, early second. So four draftable players, you know, with Arkansas. So, yeah, I mean, we saw it. And then obviously the – you know, the Iona matchup, uh, you know, that, that was probably one of the more exciting, you know, games in terms of the buzz with Patino. Everyone knew worst kept secret in college basketball was that <laughs> was that coach was going to St. John's. Right. I think I even said to him after the game, like, Coach, I, you know, I guess I'll see you in, in, at the Big East meetings in May. And he was like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> it's like, no. Nah. You know, it's going to – his presence, Coolia Joyce, and it's going to make the league more fun. It is because they've been down for a long, long time. It's going to make the league more fun, maybe not from your perspective. Uh, but uh, – and I'm sure Villanova will come back to some level. They were very disappointing this year. Uh, but, you know, they're going to get players. You know that. So it's going to be a fun league. It really is. It is. And, and it's like these fan bases because they're all – you know, they're, they're huge basketball schools, obviously, yep. Jamora did a great job with UConn football this year and, and, and that is only going to get bigger and better, but like the, all of our universities and students and fans, I mean, they're just, you know, they're just all in waiting for the winter season to start. And it's like going to be, it's going to be a reality show next year. I mean, somebody should come in, in and do like an all access reality show with all the different high level <laughs> coaches and the big personalities. I mean, it, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. One last thing here. Uh, we're talking with Danny Hurley. You're, Dad was prominent. Uh, anyone in the East, anyone from our area, anyone, everyone knows the the legend of your father. Uh, he could have been a big college coach a thousand times. Uh, he didn't want to. He didn't want to do that. We all know what he did. We all know how he did it. We all know uh, his background. Um, the success you guys have both had in basketball. What was his reaction to being? not only part of this ride, because I know he was probably in the room with you breaking down film the whole time, every day and everything else, because that's what he is. Um, what was, what did you see in his eyes when you won the championship? It was a lot. I think uh, it was emotional. I think just the whole way through. And I probably, my dad's dealt with you know, some minor health things that popped up over the last 18 months. Right, which happens so, with all of everybody when you get old. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, as tough as he is and as tough as he, he's always been. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it I, I probably had conversation with my, my wife really when I realized I had a top team, you know, November, December, where I started talking to her about like feeling that pressure 
um, to bring him along on, on to a final four to experience a national championship with just all the way he showed how much he loved me and my brother uh, through the time he invested in us in the game and just how our relationship and family was built around basketball and as he's gotten older kind of that internal pressure to like wanting to bring your dad to the final four with you uh, as you're participating in it and you know proving yourself maybe you know like i'm the college version i think of how my dad would have coached only just a little worse that's why that's how <laughs> i try to you know just how much worse i don't know if i win another one maybe i'm maybe maybe i'm getting closer maybe i'm not that much worse but you know it was special man and, and to see him cry and to see him just have that type of <laughs> did, emotion. He, did you see man. did you I mean, see a lot man. of emotion from him I at did. the final four I did, and I've never really seen it like that. I mean, I know. would think it would be. You know, you, you got to think. You know, having right. sons myself, you know, when you see them accomplish something, it, it you can't believe how meaningful it is. No matter what you did in your own life, it's just different when it's your boys. You know, it just is different. And I could imagine what that's like for him watching you do this and watching you go through this and listen, that could have been his path. We all know that he could have gone and done that himself, but he still lived it. And it meant as much. I can tell you right now, it meant as much to him with you doing it as him doing it, or maybe even more. But the bottom line is I just wondered what his reaction was because he's always been this stoical, tough guy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen him cry like that. I probably haven't hugged him as much as that. Uh, Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never probably hugged him as much as I did for those three weeks. So you it was know, that where, meaningful where, for him to be part of that ride. It was, and he uh, he was at every shoot around, and he had a chance to reconnect with PJ and 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 Stan Van Gogh. There was a lot of people along the way that you know Jim Laranega, you know, yep. like people that he's had a lifelong relationship with that. You know, he was in and around. And well, you saw PJ know, was uh, emotional at the table when you could see him. They, they cut to him on the camera, then, you know, because we saw PJ there. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, the guys who were mm-hmm. part of your basketball past growing up, you know, that there's a lot of them. Yeah, me and him were both crying, too. I, mean, I was crying with my dad. I was crying with PJ. I was just crying, period. At <laughs> 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 the drop of a hat, you're pulling up in there. No, it's like, you know, Mike, I was, uh, you know, a high school coach in Newark, you know, nine years. And I How long have you been dreaming for this? You played this dream out. How many times you played this dream out in your head? A thousand? A million? I think. Yeah. So when I was a young assistant at Rutgers, you get fired. You go, you go back, you go to high school level to rebuild that dream and career. And obviously I had to do it at every level. And I think that's why like the journey has been so gratifying. And I've always obviously had tremendous ambition, uh, you know, to kind of keep persevering because I wasn't born at UConn. I went, you know, I didn't, Kind of had to do this at every level to get here, and I'm proud of that. You should be. It's been a great run. Congratulations. Thanks for a little while, and uh, I'll see you along the way next year. Send my best to your family. Bucket list. I go to the White House. I get on with Mike Francesa. Let's go. And let me tell you, the picture I got sent was, uh, as fans may know, Dog's dog's son (laughs) is a grad assistant at UConn. And the picture I got sent by my old partner at the final four was Timmy Russo, who I remember when he was born climbing up the ladder 
to cut down the net, and I sent him a message. I said, this is something that I and your dad never got to experience, so you know you're one up on us. Uh, <laughs> there he was cutting down a net at the Final Four, so good luck for him. Uh, and uh, I know you have Bill Murray's kid there, too, and you got Timmy Russo there, too, so uh, we were following that, too. And, and Dog was the biggest UConn fan, at least for this year. Uh, he was the biggest UConn fan of all time. Yeah, any coaches out there, you're looking for a, a really good young video guy, you know, Tim Tim Russo here. And, yeah, we had a we had a bunch of storylines. We had some characters around. You did. So it was good. Well, listen, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Good luck. Mike, thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate Danny. you. Danny Hurley, the Mike Francesa Podcast, back after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. So our thanks to the uh, now national champion UConn Huskies. I mean, it's been a wild time up there now, with especially with Quinnipiac stunning everybody, winning the hockey championship. I mean, in, in the national title in hockey, that whole area is ablaze right now. So it's been crazy. But it's fascinating. As you get ready for this year in the Big East, with Cooley making the move to Georgetown with Patino, uh, and he'll be very aggressive at St. John's. And now UConn carrying the mantle at, uh, at, as national champion in the Big East. It'll be fascinating to watch uh, how this all uh, evolves uh, going forward. And, you know, uh, I've known Danny Hurley a long, long time. I've known the Hurley family forever. Um, this was uh, a remarkable run by this team this year. It really was. Uh, and uh, fun to follow, it really was. Now, we've got a big week coming up. We have the Knicks on Saturday. We'll do special stuff around the Knicks. We've got the NBA playoffs starting with the playing games tonight. we got that. Obviously, baseball's underway. It's kind of just starting to get into gear. Uh, as Scherzer pitched well last night, we got a lot to do. Uh, NHL will be in the playoffs before you know it, and we like that too. So it's a very, very busy time. And before you know it, we're heading towards the first Saturday in May. Uh, looks like our buddy Michael Poli has got the favorite in Forte, who I've told you about last year as a two-year-old, was, you know, my horse that I touted. I, I, I have made a wager, except the last race, which I didn't bet. I have made a wager on every, horse, every race he's ever run, and I've done very, very well. I've cleaned up with that horse, and sometimes a decent off because he was overlooked a couple of times last year as a two-year-old. But now he is the favorite uh, for the Derby in what is a – uh, very good. It looked like a very deep derby uh, group this year. I think there's plenty of good talent in there to challenge Forte, so it's going to be fun. So we've got a very busy time coming up, so stay tuned. We'll be there with a lot of this stuff, so keep looking for the podcast each and every day. Bet Rivers for all of your wagering needs. Play Sugar House in the state of Connecticut, which now houses all these champions. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.